Happy Sunday. At the time of Jesus, there were two significant groups in Israel. Pharisees and Sadducees. I always had trouble keeping them separated, not completely understanding their differences. I was frequently confused about what each party promoted in their platforms. I finally learned the distinction when I worked between college and seminary at a church camp as a cabin counselor. Steve was an obnoxious sixth grader who from the very first day let it be known that he ruled the roost and everyone was expected to defer to him. Oh, we had our moments, but he taught me an important lesson. We were discussing the Pharisees and the Sadducees and I acknowledged my confusion. He quickly announced, oh, that's an easy one. The Pharisees were the legalists who lived by strict rules, lots of do's and don'ts. He continued. And the Sadducees were the politicians who didn't make a show of their religion and who did not believe in the resurrection. They were sad, you see? Thank you, Steve. Some lessons just stick with you forever. I also remember a college professor who raised a question as to why Jesus spent so much time and energy focusing on the shortcomings and the judgmental attitudes of the Pharisees. But he seldom said anything positive or negative about the Sadducees. The prof's conclusion was that Jesus saw more possibilities in correcting the Pharisees' self-righteousness and their misguided legalism than he did in trying to build religious faith within the Sadducees. They had little interest in talking about the nature of God or in reaching out beyond their own tight circle. The Pharisees are clearly cast in the Second Testament as the bad guys, the perfect target for Jesus. The Pharisees are portrayed as nitpicking enforcers of religious rules. They focus so intently on the letter of the law that they miss the spirit of the law entirely. The Pharisees' primary focus was on maintaining a purity of faith which often relied on legalistic interpretations and rigid restrictions. We have our Pharisaical Christians today. And perhaps instead of writing them off, we should adopt Jesus' approach. He worked tirelessly to confront them with the teachings of their own faith tradition. He even managed to assist a few of them into becoming more open and accepting. 
Luke weaves the parables of Jesus and his teachings about acceptance and love into stories about essential rules for the faithful. Today's gospel lesson is about following rules for Sabbath and rules for eating meals. I have a friend who's a pastor who was raised in a small, rural, religious Wisconsin community. His wife grew up in a different small, rural, religious community about 10 miles down the road. The same denomination was dominant in both of these little villages. In my friend's town, you were not, you were not permitted to eat outside in the backyard on Sunday because to eat outside meant it was a picnic and picnics were forbidden on Sunday. But you could cook the meat on the grill outside if you ate it inside the house because then it wasn't a picnic. In his wife's town, it was exactly the opposite. You could eat your Sunday meal outside, but you had to cook it inside because if you cooked it outside, it was Yep, a picnic. <laughs> Obviously, both of those towns demonstrate pharisaical attitudes. Luke reports that the meal is a Sabbath meal and the Pharisees were watching closely, probably to make sure it was cooked outside. In the verses between verse 1 and 7, which we skipped over today, Jesus breaks the Sabbath rules by healing a man with dropsy, or in today's terminology, edema. This is the third incident recorded by Luke where Jesus broke the Sabbath rules. The previous healings took place in the synagogue. Today's lesson takes place in the house of a Pharisee. Jesus begins with a lecture about how to practice good manners. Here I'm going to join Caroline from last week's sermon in breaking a cardinal rule about preaching. Don't talk about how you prepared. Well, I was stymied for a while by this text. Frankly, a sermon on table manners doesn't sound all that exciting. I must confess that I had some resistance to preaching on this text. It seemed to be too simplistic, too obvious, and, well, too boring. You know you're in trouble when the preacher is bored before the sermon even begins. <laughs> I've always had trouble with manners. I can still hear my mother Richard, mind your manners. I hear the same admonition from my wife. What I came to understand about this text is that even before the age of computers, Jesus was talking about social networks. Before the age of Republicans and Democrats, he was talking about social contracts. 
These are networks of folks having similar interests with implied contracts with deference to those in authority. Jesus says, when you're at a meal, choosing where to sit, do not immediately go for the seat of honor where you might be asked to move to a less honorable seat. Sit in the lower seat, says Jesus, and see if the host moves you to a more honorable seat. Doing this, you will avoid embarrassment. There is admiration for the person who gets moved up and disdain for the person who's told to move back. So, says Jesus, give yourself a chance for redemption rather than condemnation. It's a common sense approach for living within a social network. The second part of our lesson for today switches the focus from the guests at a meal to the host of the meal. Jesus launches immediately into what appears to be counterintuitive advice. He says, if you're celebrating a meal, do not think in terms of the typical guest list, friends, colleagues, relatives, wealthy neighbors. A social contract requires that they repay you. There's something more at stake when you invite those who cannot repay. Jesus says, invite those who are poor or have physical infirmities or are blind. That advice opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. Jesus continues, you should be pleased that they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection. Jesus is saying, and the bottom line of this sermon is simply this. Do not base your good acts for others on the reward you might receive from them, but solely because it is the right thing to do. Please note that Jesus did not say, don't invite your family, friends, neighbors. He's merely asking us to think outside the circle. Humanity itself is a fragile thing. Everyone we encounter in our lives is flawed in some way. Look at us in the perfect angle, and we can be angels and we can be demons. Both are part of our humanity. We are walking contradictions. Theologically, table manners matter because what, of what they disclose in the midst of our messy existence and what they disclose about God's good purposes and intentions. Table manners help us to be civilized with each other, even if we have strong differences of opinion, even if we think they voted for the wrong political party. We are still members of the same community. Expand your social contracts until all are included, even those who move toward better seats, as well as those who condemn them for doing so.
If we can accept that truth, enlarging circles, we will have discovered that the tables have been turned, turned in humility, turned in welcoming, and turned in grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.